everyone, and welcome to the Health Nuts podcast with certified holistic nutrition consultants Mary Vance and Caitlin Weeks. Our goal is to dispel mainstream nutrition myths and bring you the best in holistic health and real food education. Hi, Caitlin. Are you there? Hi, Mary. How are you today? I'm doing well. Just trying to stay warm and uh, doing some holiday baking. So I'm excited to announce our guest today, Carol from Ditch the Wheat. Dot com. We're going to talk about, in a, in a timely topic, uh, grain-free baking, because of course everybody's doing their holiday baking this time of year, so we have some good questions to ask her. So we're excited for that, and what's new with you? I've just been, I was baking, you know, <laughs> trying out some, you know, tricky, I think the reason we wanted to do this was because, you know, Baking without wheat flour is so tricky, so we wanted to help you guys. And, you know, in the holiday spirit, we wanted to have this show. Um, I've been doing still a lot of gummy bears and stuff like that with gelatin, and I made a mushroom saffron tagine, which is part of an extension of my Mediterranean Paleo cooking book, an e-book that's on my website. So, Yeah, awesome. What is, what's new on your blog, Mary? I just wrote a post about how to prevent holiday weight gain and how to navigate parties, and it's not the same usual boring tips. I have some good, new, refreshing tips in there um, just to help people kind of get through the holidays without thinking that weight gain is inevitable. And I also have a roundup of all my favorite paleo holiday cookies. So... You know, since it is the season to be baking, a lot of people are going to cookie exchanges and parties. Uh, and I really enjoy giving food gifts this time of year. And last time I put up, I'm not sure if I mentioned it on the last podcast we did, but I put up a DIY homemade chocolate bar recipe that's really easy and really delicious. So uh, I have a lot of homemade gift ideas and how to navigate holiday parties and so forth up on the blog and so I'm at maryvancenc.com and Caitlin is grassfed girl. So Mary, tell us what what let's all talk about what is our favorite holiday treat. Well, that's a good question. Um I would have to say probably truffles. And they're really easy to make. You can make, I mean, you, you, tra traditionally I think truffles are, have heavy cream in them and some have a lot of butter in them. It really depends on kind of what you're going for. But you can make really easily, uh, you can make truffles with coconut butter, coconut oil, cocoa powder, and then add different flavor profiles like sea salt or vanilla. And I like to add cayenne pepper, give them kind of a kick. And then you can get really creative and roll them in chopped nuts or coconut or carob powder or cocoa powder. So they, they look really fancy, but they're really easy to make, and you can make them very easy, uh, easily paleo. What about you, Carol? Caitlin, I love cookies. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my favorite. I just like making cookies, eating cookies. Like, do you like chocolate cookies or more like vanilla or cinnamon or what? I like all three of <laughs> opportunity cookies. Um, well, for yes. me, it's probably uh, macaroons. I'm crazy for coconut, as always, and um, I love macaroons. My husband makes these coconut macaroons dipped in chocolate, 
that are really good, and he made them for my sister's bridal shower last year, and they were a big hit, and everyone was fighting over them, so oh, yeah. hopefully he'll make those again this year. And, um, you know, you don't really need much sugar because the coconut's so sweet on its own, so... Um, well, we want to introduce you to Carol Levitt of Ditch the Wheat. She is the author of the Indulge Grain-Free Treats book. It's 70 treats that are all gluten-free and grain-free and mostly dairy-free. And it's just a beautiful book that she made a while back, and it's been a huge seller on her website and my website and all over the Internet. If you haven't seen it, you're missing out. So, Carol, tell us how you got into baking, and how did you start to specialize in, in um, well, first first tell us how you got into paleo, and then tell us how you got interested in, in grain-free baking. Okay. Um, I started on the Atkins diet after my doctor told me to stop eating wheat, and but I had trouble I had a lot of trouble digesting dairy, so kind of naturally led me to the paleo lifestyle. So I needed a lot of recipes that were dairy free. And Atkins uses heavy cream and cheese a lot. So I started embracing the paleo lifestyle and and from there I just started switching my ingredients from Splenda to real food like honey. And I got interested in baking because that's what I've always done. I, I've always been the person who makes cookies and cakes and brings them into work. So I need my free options. Wow. So, and then was your, did you have certain health issues? Like what, what made him say that? That's surprising because here in America, you're in Canada, like, doctors barely ever say that. Yeah, I was having some health issues. I had a lot of IBS problems. Um, my stomach was in a lot of pain. I had gas. I had vertigo issues. I had headaches. I had a lot of problems. <laughs> um, so when I went to my doctor, he, he sent me to a specialist. And it was a specialist, he said, after, after a few visits, he said, try not eating any gluten. And it was like within days, I was walking in a thrift store, and I happened to see an Atkins book for $1. So I bought it. And that's what got me on the Atkins diet, which led me to the paleo diet. And... That was about two years ago. So you've been seeing improvements in your health since then? Huge. That's great. Huge improvement. <laughs> um, and you were even featured in the Paleo Miracle book, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was in that book. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Joe. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's where I first, yeah. I first saw you in that. And then I think I wrote you, and then we became friends. That was... Oh, I didn't know. 
I think, yeah, I emailed like, you because I wanted to, like, use your picture or something, and then we started <laughs> talking. I just thought, wow, Kaylee's emailing me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and then I asked Joe if I could use your picture, and he said it was okay. And, and then we just kept talking, like, every day since then. Um, <laughs> so, um... Let's get in, Mary, let's get into the questions. So you asked the first one from, we had a lot of, these are ones that have come up for, um, from our audience uh, on Facebook and stuff. And then ones, we also have some that are particularly pressing from our audience at the end. So we'll get to those. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to say that, you know, we're, as we mentioned earlier, we're excited for the show because the the whole purpose of, grain-free baking, having a lot of people think that, you know, there's a lot of confusion with the, the different types of flours out there like almond flour and coconut flour and people try to swap them one for one with regular flour and then, you know, the whole purpose of regular flour, gluten is a really sticky uh, protein that holds the baked goods together and causes it to rise and, you know, that's where you get these kind of like the cakey type products but when you uh, when you do away with white flour-based products, you can't necessarily switch them out one for one for some of these others. So just to kick us off and get started, Carol, why don't you tell us a little bit more, like what exactly is paleo or grain-free baking? Okay. Um, paleo or grain-free baking is using ingredients that don't contain any gluten, but we also go above that, and we don't contain any flours that are from grains. For example, in gluten-free baking, most people use rice flour, and rice is a grain, so we would not use that. Uh, most people stick with coconut flour or a nut-based flour like almond flour, but you can use any kind of nut flour. I've seen more people embracing starches like arrowroot flour and tapioca flour in their baking. Um, and that's all paleo approved. It's very common in gluten-free baking to mix a starch in with other flours making something. But it's only starting to become more popular in grain-free baking. So the main difference is not using flours from grains. And then I've also noticed, too, you mentioned arrowroot. I keep noticing xanthan gum cropping up. Is that something that also needs to be mixed in, um, or what, what purpose does that serve? Um, that's just supposed to help with binding, but I never use it. Other people in the gluten-free world swear by it and won't make anything without it, but I have never had any problems so I never use it. I bought it once, and it's expensive, and I still have it. <laughs> can it be? Can't xanthan gum be made out of corn or something like that? Or that seems like I read that somewhere. I don't even remember. Yeah, I think well, a lot of that stuff is derived from corn, unless you specifically make sure it's not. So, and corn is also not part of paleo baking, right, Carol? Correct. So, um, so what are some of the common mistakes you see when people are cooking with almond flour, coconut flour, and these paleo ingredients, like in the first, for the first 20 times or a hundred times? 
What are some common mistakes? Oh, there's lots of mistakes. Um, here's one that I used to make all the time. I thought almond meal and almond flour were the same thing. <laughs> and it's not. And I remember making um, a bread recipe from Elena's pantry. And I thought it was the worst bread ever because I made it with almond meal, not almond flour. And it came out so dense. And I didn't even realize what mistake I made until like six months later. Wow. I, <laughs> I do that all the time, and I'm like, oh, no big deal. But explain more about that. What, what is the difference? Um, almond flour is much finer. It's, it's not as fine as regular flour, but it's much finer, whereas almond meal is it's gritty, it's heavy. You'd use it making, like, cookies. And almond flour you'd use for muffins, cupcakes, and bread. Um, but I see a lot of mistakes when people are using coconut flour. Coconut flour is really tricky to use. You only need a little bit in a recipe, and most people have a hard time understanding that. Uh, you have to say, they think it's one-to-one, right? Yeah, they think it's a mistake and that you're wrong, and they just they just don't believe you. So you really have to pay attention to where the recipe came from for a coconut flour recipe. Because some people, some paleo bloggers, pack their measuring cups with coconut flour. And others like me prefer to sift their coconut flour into a measuring cup. So you end up with less coconut flour. And the difference is enough to ruin your recipe. I've been trying to help my readers by providing a, a weight for how much coconut flour I use. You and your metric system. Yeah. <laughs> um, wait, I have a question really quickly about the almond flour and almond meal. If you have almond meal, can you grind it and turn it into almond flour, or like grind it more finely? Yes. Like, I've done that before. It's a pain in the butt, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't... Well, I thought... <laughs> Tell me if I'm wrong, but I thought the difference between almond meal and almond flour was that the skins were in the meal and the, the skins are removed in the flour. So it would be blanched. Yeah. I, when I buy almond meal, it the package already says blanched. So I just assumed that all almond meal was blanched. <laughs> so you're saying the difference is... Because, like, here in... In the USA, they sell it at Trader Joe's, and they call it almond meal, and it's it's got all the skins in it. And that one's, it's pretty fine, but it's much heavier when you cook with it because it still has the skins. And then I bought, like, the Honeyville brand that has the skins removed, and, and that's what I thought was flour. But you're saying you could have meal that's just more fine that still does have the skins, or you're always, yours is always the ones you've bought don't have the skins ever. Yeah, I've never seen um, almond meal sold with the skin on here. Okay. I've never seen that. So, what's the conclusion of that, Mary? <laughs> the almond meal, almond flour debate? Yeah. I, you know, I always, I, you mentioned Honeyville. I know that they specifically say blanched 
almond flour. And I think Bob's Red Mill is blanched too. So, but when I buy almond meal, I guess it has flecks in it. So it, it has really dark flecks that look like they've just grind or ground the almonds. So I don't know, that might take more research. But I mean, in, in summary, I would say, you know, like Carol said, that you should just buy the flour for the um, cupcakes, muffins, cakes, and save the meal for cookies. And you want to make sure it has no, like, it's a really light color, and that will give you the lightest te- texture, right, Carol? Yes. Okay. So the next one, so tell us, I know you have made some special blog posts and stuff with some of your special tricks and and hints for people. Would you mind letting us in on some of your secrets? Okay, I'll share my secrets. (laughs) Um, This is more for coconut flour. I, I love working with coconut flour. So my special trick is to separate the egg yolks from the egg whites. And then I add cream of tartar to stabilize the egg whites. And then I whip the egg whites to stiff peaks. And the cream of tartar helps hold that structure in place when you bake it. And cream of tartar also helps neutralize the taste of baking soda. So the whipped egg whites will add height to your coconut flour baked goods. And whenever I make a recipe, I I try to carefully tell the reader how to incorporate the other ingredients so that they keep the height of the egg whites. That's the only way you can really add height to like a coconut flour baked good and make it light and fluffy. Usually coconut flour baked goods have a reputation for being dense. Like a sponge. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Dense and yeah. Well, the other issue, too, is, you know, we were talking about swapping out for flour earlier, and a lot of people don't realize coconut flour, and I know I see this a lot on paleo or gluten-free baking sites where people will always write in and say, can't I just swap that out for coconut flour? And But then you have to make all these adjustments where you have to use more eggs and more liquid because and less and you don't even have to use that much coconut flour because it soaks up everything so much, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you I guess the, use eggs. Yeah, and then the moral of the story is you can't just swap stuff like that out for flour. You have to make some real adjustments there. Yes. <laughs> now, um, what is your opinion about sifting coconut flour? Does that make a big difference? I swear by sifting. Um, it just, it takes out all the clumps. Coconut flour has a lot of clumps in it. And you just don't want your baked good to have, like, this chunk of coconut flour in it. So it helps avoid that. (laughs) Absolutely. I started doing that maybe six months ago, and it really does make a difference. And you don't have to have some fancy sifter. You just put it through a like a wire mesh thing and push it you can even push it with your fingers I mean it doesn't have to be fancy right <laughs> that's what I do so Carol do you have a formula if someone you know has a recipe that they like 
that has white flour in it? Is there a way that they can, you know, figure out what ratios of almond flour and coconut flour or any other sorts of nut flours? I know that people have been baking with chestnut flour and different kind of nut flours, but uh, is there a specific formula they can use to convert their recipes into paleo recipes? Uh, yes. Um, I'm not really familiar with how to convert a recipe to an almond flour or nut flour-based recipe. Like, I have tried, and I've just used, like, one, every one cup of flour, I've swapped it for one cup of nut flour, and it's worked fine, it's worked out fine for me. Oh, good. And then I've stick the recipe, but I know that people who use almond flour on a regular basis say you have to do more than that but um i just hardly ever bake cakes or anything with almond flour so i don't really know i use it more for cookies and when i make a cookie recipe like when i converted my mom's chocolate chip cookie recipe to an almond flour version i just did it one for one and it worked out just fine and what other alternative flours would you recommend besides from almond flour, coconut flour, you know, what other types of paleo flours are there available? Oh, there's a lot more than I used to think. There's sweet potato flour. Um, you could use potato flour, potato starch. They're not the same. Um, tapioca flour, arrowroot flour. You could make your own flour out of seeds if you're allergic to nuts. Out of what? Out of seeds, like sesame seeds uh, or... <laughs> like sunflower seeds or pumpkin seeds or something? Oh, well, I was thinking more sunflower seeds. <laughs> sesame seeds. If you yes, really want to, you could do that. I would rather just use coconut flour. <laughs> a big coconut flour fan. I love it too, um, but people—I don't know—you get the on Facebook like you get these huge, like what it's like the North and the South or something. It's like they hate almond flour or they hate coconut flour. It's like one or the other, and <laughs> they go crazy. So well, yeah. The only problem I think with coconut flour is, like I said, you have to use a ton of eggs, and I work with a lot of people who have egg allergies, so that's not ideal. But then with nuts if people are doing an autoimmune protocol then you know you're not supposed to have eggs on that you're not supposed to have nuts and then that's when <laughs> people start to uh, get agitated but you know on that note i also i personally also use some gluten-free baking mixes and they aren't considered paleo because uh pamela's gluten-free baking mix for instance has rice flour in it but if people are listening and they're not 100% paleo or they're not strict paleo. Um, I have swapped that out in Bob's Red Mill out one-to-one -one for flour and recipes, and it works great. The, and I use the Pamela's gluten-free for baked goods, and I use the Bob's Red Mill. Like, I made sweet potato gnocchi, and I use the Bob's Red Mill because it seems to lend itself better for savory. Uh, I'm saying Bob's has a gluten-free mix as well. They do, and I think it has... Um, a garbanzo flour. It's like garbanzo flour, potato starch, and something else. So it it ta it's weird because it tastes. 
I always, I'm the type of baker when, or, and the cook too, the entire process. I'm tasting every, everything. Like I eat a lot of the batter. So <laughs> with, <laughs> with the Bob's Red Mill, I noticed it tastes kind of raw and beany, but then when you cook it, it comes out fine. And I wonder if the garbanzo flour makes it taste that way, but the Pamela's is sweeter. Yeah, but it, it works really well. Um, both of those two, just the, the gluten-free baking mixes. So, and they also have, um, they add xanthan gum, I think, um, or baking soda, maybe, I can't remember, it, to help the product rise in the end, because some, I think if you, if you don't add different components, then some of them turn out really flat or something, don't they? How, how are those, um, organic, or, I mean, I would be concerned if there was, like, some GMO ingredients or something like that. I'm not really sure about, I mean, I, I make that stuff so infrequently that I, it's not a really huge priority for me to worry about that, but, um, but I think Pamela's has a pretty good reputation and so does Bob Red, Bob's Red Mill, but if someone was concerned, they would need to look it up. So Carol have, so let's talk a little bit more about the tapioca and arrowroot. Like, have you used those much and have you had any luck and what have you made? with those? Um, I'm just trying to get into using tapioca. Well, you tested out my, um, you tested out some of my recipes, didn't you? Yes, I loved that pizza recipe. Since then, I've been hooked on <laughs> It's all your so I've been playing around with it a lot, <laughs> and I make pizza. I make pizza with that with that tapioca flour all the time now because you. <laughs> I got you started on it, but I don't really have any pros. <laughs> you started an addiction. <laughs> For some reason, I'm I, I shy away from tapioca or arrowroot when I see it in recipes because it just seems like an exotic ingredient or that I, it's not something that I've been seeing it crop up more and more. So I guess it's worth it to invest in. Well, it's not that expensive and arrowroot is great. Have you used it much for, for gravy, Carol? I use it for thickening stuff. I just use it one for one for cornstarch. Because oh, it's a thickener. I love it. Now do you, when you're making gravy, yeah. do you put it, in like water first, like a little bit of water, and then put it into your gravy. I've never made gravy with it, but I have thickened like other sauces, and I just sprinkle it on with the sauce and then whisk really fast. <laughs> yeah, but you, it can be a <laughs> problem if it it could clump. So, um, yeah, you have to be really careful, or just mix it with a little a couple of tablespoons of water, like one tablespoon of arrowroot or tapioca in maybe like three or four tablespoons of water and then put it in there. And that would keep it from, that's what my husband taught me anyway, <laughs> from the, <laughs> the chef in the building. Um, I was actually reading that in your book last night. <laughs> <laughs> You're crazy. Um, okay. So, Ask what do you ask about the sweeteners, um, Mary? Um, well, 
what sweeteners do you use, Carol? And what do you recommend that people would use for paleo baking? I usually use raw honey. And I use that on like almost everything. Um, if I want something to taste like brown sugar, I use coconut palm sugar. And for all these fall and fired baked goods, I've been using maple syrup. So those are my three that I normally use. Um, Is there, I mean, I, I know that sometimes I think that... You just need to find what they like. Well, sometimes you, you have to use a granulated uh, sugar sweetener over a liquid. Is that right? Sometimes. Like, I prefer using coconut palm sugar for a cookie recipe. Um, I, I like the taste that it gives it. I don't really use it because it's granular, but I like the taste. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and actually I've noticed it really doesn't have an impact on blood sugar because uh, I'm pretty sugar sensitive and I use either coconut palm sugar or xylitol because I've noticed if I use honey or liquid sweeteners in breads or cakes, it makes them really too moist and it's almost like they're they're still raw. But if you use granulated, I think it... Um, it, it it tastes more like an actual bread. It's less dense, but you know the whole time I'm making it and I'm eating a bunch of the batter, I don't get that <laughs> bad sugar crash with coconut palm sugar at all or xylitol at all either. I I don't um I do <laughs> no matter what sugar I eat if it's not it seems like I get like. A blood sugar crash right after or I want to eat like every single piece of the cake or whatever it is I made so what I do usually for my blog is I just cook something and then if it has honey or or um, maple syrup or whatever I just take it to my neighbors or something like that <laughs> um, it could be the carb too the sugar and whatever the flour is, I guess. I mean, obviously coconut flour and almond flour are pretty low carb, but you never know. So, Carol, um, do you have any advice for people who are, like, uh, allergic to nuts? And and some people are, are confused about coconut being a nut. What do you think about that? If you're a nut, you can just use coconut flour because it's not actually a nut, it's a, it's a seed. So, um, but you could, if someone is nut free, they could consider using flowers like sweet potato, flour, arrowroot, flour, tapioca. Um, they don't have to use just coconut flour. And, um, Mary, what do you think about this controversy over like tapioca being a cross-contamination or cross-reaction, sorry, um, with the, like, the other, like, that it, people can have a reaction similar to gluten, um, like, with coffee, chocolate, like, it's on that list, like, from Cyrex Labs and all that. I haven't heard anything about that, so I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, oh, well, I thought... I I thought I heard you talk about it before. Um, I've heard the Paleo Mom has some information on that about it being. Um, I don't think arrowroot, but tapioca. She says is like a 
gluten cross reactivity reaction. You know, it's on that list with all those other baddies. Yeah. Now, I know about cross-reactivity, but it's typically chocolate, coffee um, are the main ones. But I've never heard anything about tapioca. I mean, in any case like that, really, I mean, you, people have to take it on an individual basis and see how things affect them individually. So, yeah, but if if you are, you know, having a... If you want more information about that, go over and look at Paleo Mom. But, uh, you know, like Mary said, it's everyone has to kind of see what their individual reactions are to things. And and if you're having a lot of symptoms of autoimmune, you know, that might be something to look at. And, and going back to the sweeteners, have you guys tried the Swerve sweetener that's out there? I'm kind of skeptical about that, which is a very low-carb option. I've never tried it. <laughs> I bought it once for my dad when I was at home because he puts, like, the cheapest crappy sugar in his coffee, and I thought maybe I could get him into that. But then um, he decided that he want we used – I tried it a couple of times just in a drink or something, but I never cooked with it. And then uh, he decided to go to honey, and I was like, all right, fine, I'm not going to – you got to pick your battles sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like, as long as it's not like GMO sugar, I'll, that's all right. <laughs> well, one good question too is, you know, and I've, a lot of my clients are um, recipe developers too. And, and they tend to, you know, like we were talking about taste test what they're eating and snack a lot. So Carol, how do you control yourself around all the treats that you're making? And, you know, what tips do you have for, in recipe development, you constantly have to be making things and taste testing. So how can people not go crazy with that? I'm terrible. <laughs> I eat the whole recipe. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have any good tips, basically. I I don't control myself very well at all. I just, honestly, like within two to three days, I have eaten the whole recipe. Two to three days? That's pretty much, that's a lot of control. Yeah, I can okay. stretch mine out for a week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes if I'm really good, I, I freeze it. Oh, that's a good I idea. <laughs> and Caitlin mentioned kind of giving it away to a neighbor. Yeah, it's a great idea for like, for like do-it-yourself gifts. You know, you could bake something off of one of our websites and then take it as a gift and like a nice tin or something and then... Yeah, especially if you have any family that are gluten-free or trying to be. <laughs> and then you'll have something to eat when you're over at the party. Yeah. Yep. So um, is there any other tips that you that help people when they're at parties, Carol? Uh, bring your own food. <laughs> uh, when I – I hardly ever go to parties, but – when I do, most people have like vegetables and and fruit that you can eat. So that's what I eat. I hardly ever even bring a baked good. I don't want to share my baking with them. <laughs> <laughs> you you have to buy her ebook to get her baking, I guess. <laughs> well, I would think that would be a really good teaser to get people to want to buy your ebook is to share your 
your baked goods. <laughs> well, she shares them all day on Facebook, right? Yeah. Um, another tip people can do, I mean, I think at parties, the best thing is like to kind of fill up on the protein first, like maybe the shrimp or a meat, um, some sort of meat appetizer that will really help you to avoid, you know, get your blood sugar stabilized and then you will make better choices the rest of the night. Yeah. And the biggest one that people do, I think is. I see two mistakes is they starve themselves all day long in anticipation of a party so that, you know, they've saved up and then they go bonkers or, you know, you hear this bit of advice where it tells you to don't ever go to a party hungry. But then again, if it's a party and there's all this great food, what you'll do is you'll show up not hungry and then eat all this great food, even though you're not hungry. So I typically, Tell people just to, you know, if you're going to a party that, you know, is going to have a lot of great food, just eat normally that day and then eat normally at the party, just like you'd be eating dinner, but don't stuff yourself. Just make a few good choices, like the protein choices that you mentioned and, and save some room to enjoy a good, a couple of good treats at the end and just share them with people so that you can try one bite of a bunch of different stuff. Another thing that has helped me at parties is, like, make a plate and eat, like, a normal, like, go and sit down away from the table and eat, like, a normal meal and then just, like, get rid of your plate. <laughs> um, because, like, if you are just standing up and eating the whole time, you won't have, you won't have any awareness that you ate at all. Like, you'll just keep eating the whole night. So yeah. It's like, if you try to pretend like you're eating normally like a normal dinner with a normal plate full of food then it might register more with your digestive system and your brain that you ate and and also not to linger over the buffet table just get what you want and then take off and go sit down and enjoy your meal uh instead of lingering around because that's when you start chatting and then you start grabbing and chatting and it doesn't even register i do that all the time yeah <laughs> And what, one more thing I thought of is, like, you might want to just get some tea or cough, like, decaf or something and just, like, have that in your hands to just kind of keep yourself busy. Because I think sometimes it's just we want to eat because we're nervous or whatever. So, and like Mary said, stay far away from the table where the food is. Yeah, that's always a good a good one. So, Carol, how do you develop new recipes when you're like thinking of things um well sometimes I just look through my mother's recipe collection <laughs> um sometimes I'll just look up a traditional recipe and convert it to the coconut flour version other recipes I just I literally just make them up um and then I do have a few, I do have a coconut flour base recipe that I use for all my coconut flour muffins and cakes and breads. And then I just switch it around depending on what I'm trying to make with it. So that makes making a new recipe super easy. That's a good idea, yeah. But I mean, if you had some advice for someone who's new to this and and they were trying to develop their own recipes, would you just tell them to kind of go through their favorite recipes and then just experiment? Yeah. Um, if they have a recipe they really like, 
um, and they want to convert it to a coconut flour version, they can take all the flour, divide it by, uh, by four. So they, if there's like one cup of flour, you just need a quarter of that. And that would be how much coconut flour you'd use. And then you take the eggs and times that by three. So if it's two eggs, you times it by three. So you need six eggs. And then you have a coconut flour recipe. And then you just have to tweak it. This is never perfect the first time. Yeah, and then you just have to keep adding, you know, figuring <laughs> out how much spice or whatever else you're putting in it or baking soda, baking powder. And then you have oh. to figure out if you have enough light to take a picture. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That too. <laughs> And so before we get into our Facebook questions, Carol, what's your response to the criticism that paleo bloggers are making too many treats? Because okay. obviously, you know, <laughs> treats really aren't considered paleolithic since caveman wasn't, I guess, sitting around in his cave drinking coffee with sticks of butter in it and almond flour brownies. <laughs> <laughs> I would say... A lot of bloggers focus on treat recipes because that's what people want. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Like we all have, we all have blogs, and we can see what people view and what they share. And the truth is, people share dessert recipes, and they view dessert recipes, and they search for dessert recipes. People don't go crazy over a recipe like a steak recipe. And they don't need help learning how to, like, barbecue a steak. They need help with a grain-free dessert recipe. So, you know, most bloggers know that, and they provide that service. And it just makes people's lives easier, in my opinion. I think they're doing a good thing. People want to know how to make the grain-free birthday cake. They don't need to know how to roast the chicken for the party. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. <laughs> well, but you, but do you think that the the problem is that they have all these treats and stuff, but do you think it encourages it, people to eat more treats, or do you think it just helps them when they may be faced with um, eating a Safeway birthday cake or something? I think there's like two groups of people. The group of people who are going to be like, oh, this is grain-free paleo. I, I can eat this all the time. And I see some friends do that. <laughs> and then they have weight problems. And then they have issues. And they're constantly on like a whole 30 to detox from all this baking. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's the point is they think if it's paleo... Then okay. or it's grain free. Then it's okay, and you can use as much as you want of it. And that's not true. You can't. <laughs> and then there's people like me who are like, "Oh, well, I'll just bake twice a month." And that's really all I do is just bake something twice a month. Um, I eat it all in like two days, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I overdo it. Like it's just two recipes a month. Yeah, I mean, that sounds totally reasonable. <laughs> And then you take a picture of it, and then you... Get I post it on the blog. <laughs> well, I think that the big thing is... I mean, I saw this with my clients, my old clients and stuff all the time. Like, 
they would take, uh, they wouldn't take anything that they could have, and then they would get so pissy, pissy that they didn't have anything that they would just eat the version, the the crappy version of of the treat, like cake or cookies, whatever was there, you know, because they didn't have anything. And I just thought it was better for them to take something, even if it was like a dark chocolate bar in their purse or something like that, than than to just fall, completely fall off the wagon and eat gluten, you know. And so I, I think maybe some people who say that are people who have never, like, actually worked with people or, like, aren't real about what people do in real life. So what do you think, Mary? Yeah, that's a, a interesting point. Um, but I really, uh, and also, like in anything else, it really depends on the person in this situation. Um, and, you know, everybody responds differently around stuff like that. Some people get these binge tendencies around sweets. Some people, if you restrict them too much, then they go over the deep end. So it really, you just have to figure out kind of, you know, how much you can get away with to make your life enjoyable, but that you're not packing on the pounds. Absolutely. So let's look at our Facebook questions from, all right. The first one is how to convert flour to almond flour. I think we pretty much talked about that already. So it's basically like one-to-one works a lot of the time but sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> right, Carol? That's right. Like, I've only converted cookie recipes to almond flour recipes, and it's worked for me. I've never actually tried to convert a cake recipe to an almond flour cake. I have done it, and I think it does, sometimes it takes a little bit more, just depending on how wet. But you can also just kind of mix it, and as you're mixing it, you could keep adding a little bit more almond flour um, like you could do one-to-one and then as you're mixing it, you could just add a slowly add a little bit more, um, and then see if it gets to be the right consistency. But like Carol said earlier, you want to make sure that you've fluffed up your eggs and stuff like that to make it not, cause almond flour gets so dense and use almond flour, not almond meal <laughs> when you're making a cake or um, especially if you want something lighter, like a cupcake, right? Isn't that what you said? Yeah. You can also use almond butter. That works really well. Oh. Inter- what would you use that in place <laughs> of an oil or what? Um, I've used almond butter to make cakes before. And basically, you can just take an almond flour recipe, take out the added fat that they would have had, so you don't need the coconut oil because it's... You already have enough fat in the almond butter and just use the almond, just use as much almond butter as you would almond flour. And it's really light. Huh. That's a good idea. Um, so we have another question from paleo, paleoified. Any way to make croissants or puff pastry? Boy, that's a tall order. (laughs) (laughs) um i don't think i've ever seen anyone in the paleo world make a paleo-fied recipe for those but i I do remember seeing one on sarah's site the the paleo mom um 
a long time ago, she posted a puff pastry pastry recipe, and I think she used tapioca flour. Maybe it was arrowroot flour. So I think it's completely possible, but not with not with uh, coconut flour or almond flour. You'd have to use something very light and fine, like tapioca flour. Yeah, I've oh. never tried that. Yeah, I have never tried tapioca flour. I mean, that sounds like and the cream of tartar tip is another good one. And there's one last question here from Sylvie. She says, if a recipe calls for baking powder or soda, is it grain-free? Also, most grain-free recipes seem very dried out. What would your response be to that, Carol? Uh, baking powder often contains cornstarch. You can get gluten-free baking powder. But when I first started baking gluten-free, grain-free, I didn't know that the baking powder was not gluten-free. <laughs> Me either. I, <laughs> I still I have know. old blog posts I go back and change. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think most people know that. Uh, so I actually oh, make they, my own. They know on my site. <laughs> <laughs> you can just make your own. It's just um, cream of tartar plus baking soda. I don't remember the quantities, but you can just Google it. It's really simple. No, Carol, you but, have to tell us. <laughs> I actually <laughs> try to look at this up. I don't know how to do uh, Because I have, it, <laughs> I have it written down in my book with all my little notes, and I cannot find my book. It's somewhere in my boxes because I, I just moved. Have some sympathy. <laughs> all right, we'll let you off this time. Okay. But to answer the question, why do grain-free recipes seem dried out? I don't think that's a problem from a grain-free recipe standpoint. I think it's more a problem with whoever made the recipe. The recipe writer needs to adjust the ratio of wet to dry ingredients. Or it could be the user who's messing up the recipe. Um, They might be measuring the dry ingredients wrong. For example, if someone picks up a... If someone packs a coconut... If someone packs a cup of coconut flour to make a recipe that calls for sifted coconut flour, then they'll be adding too much coconut flour and they'll find the recipe too dry. So that can happen. So it's either the recipe writer sometimes making a mistake that makes the recipe too dry or sometimes it's the end user making a mistake that makes it too dry. That sounds like great advice. Yeah, you you know, you have to be selective about who you pick for your um for your blog, you know, for your recipe. You know, if you try a few recipes from a certain blogger and they they don't work, then maybe switch to somebody else or, you know, keep looking. There's so much free information out there and then, you know, if you really want an expert, you want to get Carol's book. So, Carol, tell them where you can where they can find your information. Uh, they can find my information on my blog. Uh, my blog's my blog is called Ditch the Wheat. You can find it at www.ditchthewheat.com. 
I have a digital cookbook that I sell. It's called Indulge. Um, very sinful dessert recipes. 70 grain-free dessert recipes that people love. Um, one of the very popular recipes is this flourless brownie recipe. And people just love it. They talk about it all the time. So just check out my book on my website. And you have, and a, new book. You have a new book coming soon, don't you? Yeah, eventually I'll get that done. <laughs> and what's it about? It's just, it's a whole book devoted to snacks. It's called The Green Free Snacker. And it has, like, dips. It has, it just has every snack you can imagine. Yeah, I think I came up with a couple of your ideas, huh? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very, I'm very uh, pushy with my ideas. So, um, well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us, and we wish you all the best in the holiday season, baking, and uh, we, we hope you can have some willpower for making good choices, and we want you to stay healthy, and um, then if, you're, if you can't, then me and Mary are going to help you in the new year, so, um, <laughs> so get excited. We're going to have a lot of new guests next fall this next spring this is our last show of this year uh, it'll be before the spring it'll probably be in january <laughs> well then the the dawning of the new year is a new awakening so um so we're gonna have lots of awesome guests coming up and you know please share our show with your friends and family and leave us a review in itunes it really helps us out and thank you so much for coming and listening. Happy holidays. Bye-bye.